movement just to be back as Canada really punched through the middle part of this stroke. They are supremely confident. They have a leg. This is the ultimate event in sprint racing and at the 1,000 metre mark, Canada lead by a length. It's all going according to plan for Canada. And they have only 10 strokes remaining in this final. They're winding it up. They're winding it up. They're holding off the United States, moving on Canada, but Canada are going to come forward. And the Canadians will hold off the whole world as they come up to the line. And Canada are the Olympic champions. And Great Britain get the silver medal. And the United States of America gets bronze. And Canada blew the field away in that first 1,000 meters. Welcome to The Rose Show. We're your hosts, Lawrence Britton and Jake Green. And in this podcast, we're going to go into everything related to sport and performance. And we're also going to talk a little bit about rowing. In South Africa. It brings people together, it breaks down barriers. My passion winning to be the best. Being the best is something we strive for. It's a role in South Africa. Compassion. Great. Passion. Fiction. Gold. Ultimate gold. Glory. Relentless training. Pain. Pain. <laughs> Hello ladies and gents and welcome to another awesome episode of The Row Show. As always, it's myself, Lawrence Britton, and with me... As always, it's Jake Green. And uh, <laughs> this is now part two of Annam Creek. And, uh, you know, if you haven't listened to part one, you can do that. If you don't want to do that, you can also just listen to the straight of right, right off the bat. Um, and yeah, in part two, uh, we, 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 we covered a little bit in the last episode. We, we got to get into his 2008 Olympic campaign. We got to chat to him a bit about his crew. I think we get through the quick fire questions as always, and probably a special treat as we speak about his his Atlant- Atlantic crossing that he, he attempted and, and capsized in the Bermuda Triangle of all places. So a real advent- in- intrepid adventurer. Uh, Lawrence, what did you think? Yeah, I was going to say, I must say, things got exciting at the end. I mean, we were going, pushing on over two and a half hours and I was like, oh my word, this day, like we looking at my notes, there's still so much we had, uh, hadn't talked about, hadn't covered and, you know, we're still trying to squeeze uh, more and more in, but, you know, it was late for us when we were recording this and we were getting, <laughs> we were getting tired. So we had to cut it somewhere. Uh, we might have to one day go back and, and do all the, the stuff. I mean, we, 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 we touched on Spracklin, but we didn't really get into it. And I know there was, there was a whole lot there. But, mm. you know, this is the second Canadian from that eight that we're chatting about. Uh, we, 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 we chatted with uh, Jake Wetzel a while ago. So we are getting a really good um, picture of, of this race and, and this crew. So um, awesome stuff. And as Jake said, we went into the quick fire questions. We, we got the Atlantic crossing. We also did like kind of questions on his crew and uh, dug into, to, you know, some funny stuff uh, around his crew and, and you know, who was the strongest, who was always late. That kind uh, of thing. to the quick fire questions, which was so cool, and and I must say that uh, that was some real um, good stuff from him, and yeah, he even gave his famous Spracklin uh, impression. So, oh man, this part two is full of good stuff. So I'm sure you guys are going to love it, and uh, yeah. Otherwise, um, thanks so much for supporting the show. You guys are absolute legends. Tell your mates about it, share it, get more people listening. It helps us so much. And to our patrons, you guys are the champions. Thanks so much for the, the financial support and supporting us, just making sure that we can uh, keep dishing up the, this big quality and uh, giving you the show that you guys love so much. Yeah, thanks, guys. The support is amazing. Jake? Um, like Lauren said, the, you know, the love we've been getting uh, recently has been, a, has been 
you know, helping us a lot and the show is really growing. So you're really appreciating that. And, you know, just to mention on the timing of this uh, release for the patrons out there, they would have gotten this nice and early. But, you know, for the, the free feed, Lawrence and I will probably be, you know, right just before our Olympic racing right there. And uh, we'll be kind of in a bit of a mental lockdown, just focusing on the racing, focusing on squeezing out the last bit of training. Um, and then after Olympics, we're going to try and get a whole bunch and bucket load of, of content out for you and, and kind of like unravel all the stories from the games and, and whatnot. So, you know, that's where we're probably going to be when you when you listen to this. Yeah, and also if you're worried, um, obviously we're not going to do a hype train for the games as we're going to be racing, but I think we're going to have you guys covered. Uh, our trusty friend, Mr. Thompson, he was on our, our hype train uh, before the late qualification, and I think he's going to take care of you guys. So hope you enjoy that, and otherwise you will catch us on the flip side. We're out. Enjoy the show. Cheers, guys. We're out. So I went back, finished up as it go, kind of finished up doing the player coaching thing with the Stanford guys, and you know, kind of going through the grind of the winter. And then Spracklin gives me a call up. You know, they he ends up finding he gives me a call up, ends up finding some carding for me, and directing me some carding money. So it was like I don't know, it was like five hundred or a thousand bucks a month, not a lot, but it made a big difference at the stage of life I was in, and. And then he's like, hey, Adam, if, has, I was wondering if you wanted to come to Seville, Spain. <laughs> yeah, we're having a training camp. And I was like, oh. And it was tied to the it was tied to the karting. So I was like, okay, I'll do that. We're going to race in singles. I went over. I trained a bit with Tim McLaren, the Australian. Uh, he was training a bunch of the Americans over in the East Bay uh, in California. So trained a bit with him. And, uh, you know, in the single and was uh, trying to figure out the single. I was never really able to get the pickup. I couldn't pick up the, the single well enough. Um, oh, it's so different from the uh, eight. It's like completely different sport, yeah. completely. Mm-hmm. Oh, different, fe- different feel at the catch. It was, um, you know, I could, yeah. So I was just working on that. We're going to try to figure out, like, how do I pick up the boat? But it. I almost needed a different rhythm than the rhythm that we had established in the eight. Uh, so it was hard to like sort of retrain, train that, but, um, went to the training camp and it was just this, I don't know. I was, I was working hard academically. I was, you know, the leader in, you know, like in the rowing environment where I was training at the, at the university, and then all of a sudden I was just one of the guys again, you know, I was like, I, I'd kind of reentered into this, this environment where it was comfortable. And I was there with my friends and we we're out battling and I still had the ability, you know, as my thing, you know, my claim to fame was that like for three strokes, I could always lift the boat and make it go faster. You know, I just had this power component where I could just like, bam, bam, bam. And I was, when I was at Stanford university, I was just like, I was going to the weight room like every day, sometimes like three times a day. I just became like, I'd just go like, okay, just do some more leg press, do some more bench press. Let's just see, let's see kind of like, I just want to get, get huge, see the muscles I can build. (laughs) So I was just having fun with the weights. And so I had, I had extra, 
extra juice at that time. And so I remember going out there and there are a few of these pieces where we get into the bigger crew boats. Most of them were in, you know, most of, we were mostly sculling there, but we get into some of the bigger crew boats and just being able to lay down a few strokes, make the boat move, a big boat move. And just that was, it felt like I could contribute something to the team. And that felt like I was part of the team. I was one of the guys again, I could contribute and you know, and then all of a sudden you got like a guy like Kyle, who was kind of like the last guy in our boat in Athens. He was the, you know, I talk about in my book, uh, the responsibility ethic. And he was kind of choked when he first heard the story. It was like, like when I first met Kyle, I didn't really, you know, I thought he was a loser, right? He was my punching bag. I just like, you know, I thought I was better than him. And I, you know, I didn't have that, you know, sort of deep level of respect I do now for him. And it was so out of place when all of a sudden this guy like Kyle, who you know, barely made our boat in Athens was just like, he's just crushing it. It's like winning the pair, winning the single, like, you know, yeah. dropping f- like five fifty ergs or whatever he was doing. And, um, <clears throat> so Kyle was coming on, uh, you know, Jake was playing around with Derek and the double, but then um, Mike was saying, no, I'm just going to let Jake do his thing. And then I'm going to, you know, put him in the eight. You know, he's just got to burn this out for a bit. <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> yeah, Jake, <laughs> and then, um, yeah, Ben was back. Kevin um, had this guy, Rob Wiedermeyer is a good friend. He was in the mix. Uh, he was ended up being our spare so there's a lot of really good guys that I just connected with, had really good friendships with. And then you could see it, right? You hopped in the boat. And I remember we did a World Cup in... Oh, I really... So we did... Yeah, I, I wanted to... I, I mean, I'm sorry yeah. to interrupt there, but yes, I, I just wanted yeah. to say that there's a that transition. And when you look at, you know, when I went through the research, I did the results, I watched the racing. And that, that 2007, 8, 2008... 2008 it was it was a different beast it was i mean even right off the bat that first world mm-hmm. cup you guys dominated that race you know you put two seconds into the crew that came mm-hmm. second oh, yeah. and it's not even like I, people out there listening are like oh it's an eight two seconds not that much i feel like in an eight two seconds at the finish line for an eight that's yeah. that's that's a lot of time i mean when you consider the nature of the event so such a it's dominant huge. eight. So I mean, just keep going there on like the that that eight. It was just the magic. It just looked like there was magic in that boat. It was good. I was rowing three seat in that boat. I was just coming off like training with the, um, you know, I was training on my own. You know, training up the the Stanford guys, rowing with Tim McLaren, um, lifting a lot of weights. You know, maybe lifting a little too heavy because it was. Um, it's I started to kind of have back issues and then the uh yeah that i took the flight over to Linz and my back seized up you know sitting you know sitting on the airplane for 14 hours and all of a sudden my back tweaked out and so i'm at Linz and i'm like i can only row i can't do the layback i'm just i'm rowing sitting up and uh it was funny with that race because we started off super slow like we didn't have the the juice off the start and uh but we like 
you know, we start out, we, we started from behind, which was kind of counter to the Canadian crew. And I think even Marty Cross was calling it. And I was sitting up and I couldn't do any layback. And so it's like, well, the American, you know, the Canadian crew is rowing counter to their traditional style, <laughs> you know, slow off the start, speeding up to the finish. And what has happened to their layback? <laughs> and it was like, okay, injured guy in, uh, you know, in three seat uh, contributing to that. But then after we, you know, we did the Lintz, we won the Lintz World Cup. Um, we sort of rejigged the lineup. Um, Jake came in uh, into the boat for Lucerne that year. Um, and then, you know, and then we hit Munich and we were just, we won, actually we won the world cup that year, which was pretty cool. As uh, that felt like a good accomplishment for some reason. And then, um, you know, good times at Henley that year too. It was, it was just a, like, it was a whirlwind for me because I came out of this world of Stanford and university and all of a sudden I'm just, I'm in the mix and I had these, all these strong guys that I was just, I was just trying to contribute to the crew at this point um, instead of driving it. And like mentally from obviously those two real big disappointments and now you turn around, but your crew is firing and every time you race, it's bang on. How was it? mentally for you in in 2007 maybe more than than obviously once you get to 2008 you you're all in and you're in this thing it was fun the joy was back and it became fun you know i found a way to truly channel joy in the process whereas in the previous quadrennial there was you know we we're motivated by status there's so much status drive in um, you know, in our culture, in our genes, in our in in who we are as individuals, you know, and I think you know even more in male athletes, I, I would think, but I think there's that drive for status was certainly there. It's kind of part of the youthful inexperience too, in thinking that I'm I'm going to have more status, I'm going to be more valuable, I'm going to be better because I've I've won this. And there was less of that, especially for me specifically, I think. And I was truly enjoying, you know, the joy of, of pushing my body to the max, you know, sort of counter like the antithesis to the Eaton world championships where we finished 10th, the, um, yeah, the, Contrary to that, it was every race I was able to go out and and unload everything, and everyone around me was doing the same, and we were looking for that next inch, that next quarter of an inch, that next tenth of an inch. You know, we would debate, you know, to the like to the hours of the night, you know, how we would approach a stroke, how we would approach a race, how we would dial in the race plan, what we would do. And then on top of that, the only thing I was doing was rowing. I wasn't going to school. I wasn't like, it was just like rowing and doing whatever I can to keep myself positive and motivated when I'm out of the boat so that I can keep, you know, keep seeing what potential we can, you know, we can achieve and what excellence we can find in this discipline. And that was, yeah, uh, that was the, you know, there was a lot of joy in the pursuit 
and like a lot of focus and um, really good guys, really good coach, really good program. It was, it was a, yeah, I'd say from Lintz through Lucerne, uh, Lintz through Beijing, 2007 Lucerne. So that last um, 18 months, it was, it was cooking the whole time. Mm. It was, you just kind of knew. So the, the question that I want to do to ask was um, going into Beijing now, you know, you're getting to the games. The last games was obviously just not the the standard that you expected. And now you're back on this thing and you, you're back at the Olympic games. What was the like emotional stress like? And, and what was the vibe in the crew? And were you thinking a bit, quite a bit about the 2004 games going in or was it so focused on the current position and and the just the actual performance of of what your crew can can possibly do at uh, at Beijing? Opportunity focus, hundred percent. You know the you know the pain of the past should motivate the training, but it should never motivate the racing. And that's where people mess up their brains. Yeah. Know, it was all about opportunity. It was, it was not about redemption. It was about seizing the moment. We, we were there to seize an opportunity and it was our race to lose. And if we, mm. if we lifted up our eyes from the prize, you know, we would only be letting ourselves down. And we, we needed to dial in that focus. We had a few, you know, one of the things that we did different from 2004 to 2008 is especially big, especially important in a big boat is we incorporated a media ban. So we said, no, and it's different, especially now too, with, um, you know, with social media and that kind of thing. But it was, you know, we don't talk to anyone outside of our crew unless we have to, you know, obviously we need to, you know, it's the Olympics. We need to have some conversations. So after the race, Mm -hmm. we had, uh, after each, you know, heat or rep or final we would say you know we'll you know we'll be open for conversations for this you know three hour four hour period but everything over that it's like you can write a letter to your mom on an email but other than that like stay focused don't get sucked into the circus like this is for you this is your one chance keep your eyes on the prize keep your brain you know in your head and uh, that was, I think that was really important leading into the games. Yeah, you know, just having that internalized focus on what, what truly mattered uh, to us, which was performance. Um, so I'd say that was, that was another key aspect, you know, leading into the games. And we were like, we were, we leaned on one another. We were supportive of one another. It was, you know, all that magical stuff that happens in a crew. And I even remember, uh, I think it was Steve Redgrave, you know, made a comment on BBC. He's like, hey, oh, the Canadian crew is is walking around like they've already owned, won this and uh, they're really putting off. You know, it's really putting off. Oh. It's, <laughs> I make the, make the joke that uh, nothing, nothing offends a Brit more than someone who feels they're irrelevant. You know, a, you know, a, fa- a member of a fading empire. Uh, the that's just a tongue in cheek <laughs> joke. <laughs> I, I love you, Brits. <laughs> but, 
we we actually you know that's Lawrence brought that up earlier because you know Lawrence I think Lawrence listened to it and you know we chatted about how how funny it was that uh, you know, Redgrave uh, said something like that but you know I think it's just his comment maybe is a good testament just to the focus I mean if someone else is picking up that kind of that that focus from from just observing you guys you know you dialed in 100% this is a, a indomitable force that's hitting the line well and it's you know you yeah. talk a spiritual battle right it's a spiritual battle too as much as it is a physical and a mental one and we had so much uh invested in that race and in that experience and it was i think it was f- offensive to the british and to redgrave uh because we weren't thinking of them there's no thought in our mind of the British. The British were coming in thinking that they're fast. And we're just like, we need to focus on what our job is. This is a closed competition. Yeah, we can make our calls off what these other crews do, but the only thing we can truly focus is ourselves. So I need to know like who's bringing the oars down and where's the water going and how are we setting up the boat? and Where is it washed? And, and what is it set up? And uh, what's the, the schedule? And okay, who's wh- like, well, how am I going to make you know, the dinner and oh, what's the, you know, what's this? And it was simply just an obsession with the details and a, um, a non-observation of everyone else there. And you'd like every once in a while you'd see, like you'd see the other crews and you'd feel the energy of like, these other crews are here. Um, and it would fire you up, but it would be more, I would have to put like, I would just shovel it away, shovel it away, shovel mm. it away until we're on the race line. And then I look at you and I just like, I'm going to beat you. Like I'm going to make, yeah. I'm going to make you hurt and I'm going to hurt and I'm going to go hurt. I'm going to hurt myself more than you could ever imagine. And you're going to find more pain than you knew. And I'm going to hurt harder and I'm going to beat you. And I'd look at every single seven seat and I'd tell myself that story. And I, you know, and then I get, just get ready to hurt and go to, um, go to Pain Town. Just do whatever it takes. Yeah, yeah. it's actually that. You, that reminds me of uh, Eric Murray. He said in his interview, like the you know what, the very similar to you is that you know when he got to the starting line, he knew he looked across at the you know the other, other bomb and he knew there's nothing, nothing that those other guys had done in training that was remotely close to him, and there was nothing they could never hurt themselves as much as he could hurt himself. Thanks, Jake. Cut me deep. Deep. <laughs> oh, sorry, Lawrence. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's fine. Oh. <laughs> I can resist. I'll be okay. Yeah. I'll be okay. You know. <laughs> the, um, oh, I love the aggression when you talk because you know um, we when we talk it's like it's always so much technical stuff and there's so much kind of the nuances of, of rowing and, and the skill side. And then every now and then we get that punch of like the aggression and how, you know, yes, all that good rowing needs to happen, but you know, you need to, you want to, you must want to beat other people and you must take it from them and you got to like hurt yourself more than anyone else can hurt themselves. And, and that's where like the, the crux of the, the whole thing comes together. And oh, I really love it when we, when we get into mm. to that element. Well, it's, well, and this is the thing that that was my goal, you know, and this was always my goal in racing. And like I said, you know, for me, what motivated me and it's different. And I know that it's different because I'm, 
I felt like I was a lot different than many of my teammates. You know, many of them were very motivated by, by beating other people. And I was certainly motivated by beating other people. I was also motivated by beating myself. And I wanted to, you know, for me, what, racing was a transcendent experience. You know, it was like taking a crazy drug that you've never taken before. And you're trying to find a higher plane of intelligence and connection and, uh, and experience that you would never get anywhere else. And racing, especially when you have all these people looking at you uh, with the race. So you have the live audience, but then, you know, there's, you know, deep down, you know, at a spiritual level, we are all connected to one another. And the more humans mm. that are watching the Olympics and watching this race, there's this, you know, there's this energetic influx. So nerves are elevated. So you have this opportunity to be on performance in front of a billion people, two billion people, however many people are paying attention to what you're doing. And it, it's, you know, and rowing, which is, it's, it's a pain meditation, it's a, it's you're trying to you know, see how deep into the pit you can go, and I remember that this was the goal, and I remember, and, and it requires an intense amount of focus, and and I remember the it was like 1300 meters into our Olympic final where I lost focus, I lost focus, and it was, it's funny because I was like in the boat, I was doing everything, following the plan, looking at Kyle, listening to Brian, who is our coxswain, incredible coxswain, um, and then all of a sudden I had this thought, I had this thought of one of our spare rowers, and I was like, I and I was like, oh, I just like I need to take some hard strokes, you know, I need to take <laughs> some hard strokes for him. <laughs> and and I don't and I just decided I was going to take like an extra hard one or two strokes you know for this guy and um and then my my blade just went in it went in wrong instead of thinking I was thinking abstract <laughs> instead of thinking put it in a kind of fluff through and I had one of those rip and rip right and I was just like and I came this close to catching a crab right and that would have ended it for everybody like it would have been me I would have ended it for everybody you know big crab by the seven seat. I recover it. And I remember after the race, Dom, who sat behind me, is like, what happened there, man? You almost like you almost lost it for us. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> he called he called me on it big time. That's and, so funny. Uh, but it's like the the slightest distraction and the slightest coming off the focus can, can but then at this can ruin you. But then on the other side, it was, you know, eyes wide open. You know, stay focused on on the present. Be here now. Take this stroke. Get it harder. Uh, it, I was, I felt like I was able to go to that pit. You know, I was able to like leave everything out there. And uh, I always loved the erg, and I always loved like the rowing machine, and because there was so um, like there was something more concrete about the number. Yeah, um, in your face. And I, in your face, and I just I wish. I wish we all could have done like an erg test. Oh, like, to see next... the number, to yeah, see what everyone like, was pulling down the track. Well, I would love, like, honestly, like post, it would be amazing post games, like two days later, two days after all the finals, <laughs> everyone hops on the erg and you just see who's. In a million years, two days after the games, it is. No, that's ever. never happening <laughs> ever. Oh, it would be, oh, I would love to see it. But if that was part of the competition, you just understood <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. I don't know. That would be 
or the next day. I don't know. Yeah. You, you'd see some crazy times. You really I think would. You would. Like everyone in the five thirties. <laughs> I don't know. I would five yeah. thirties would be more normal. I think because you don't. No, definitely because so. I want to jump though. I want to jump in because we're talking about the crew and we're talking about like the dynamics between you and you know. Um, we we had a, a, a few questions that we wanted to ask you about the crew um, because obviously it's eight, it's nine people. It's uh, it's got a lot of, you know, there's a lot of variables in it. So we'll bust them out quite quickly. And my the first one is who is the the strongest person? Who is the strongest person in the boat? In who is Beijing. The str- in Beijing, um, how do you find? define strongest. No, no, you, so, you, you, you got to take the question. You can yeah, take it the, whichever way you want. So it. I'm going to tell you who is strong in different ways. So I'd say Jake was probably the strongest racer, had the best racing helmet, was most aggressive. Like he could, he could rise up to the challenge more than anyone else when that's like in the racing environment, you know, strongest on, you know, a six, six K aerobically, would probably be Malcolm, right? He's, you know, 18 minutes, mid 18 minutes on a 6K. He's an aerobic beast. Um, strongest on the Erg, it might have been Kyle, right? He was the strongest pair rower. He was the fastest rower. Anyone you'd throw him in the pair with, he would win. He would win in our pair matrices all the time. Kyle was at the top. You know, three the three stroke max. I would win that all the time. You know <laughs> how how many you know how many watts can you create in three strokes? And I think in three strokes, I got up to fourteen ten, fourteen ten watts. That's that's outrageous. And so the that's proper. That yeah. is so, like, insane. Uh, that's insane. If you're listening, next time you're on the Erg, do your three stroke max. Do it and see what what you can uh, what you can dish up. <laughs> Yeah, because so, it's not going to be fourteen hundred watts. That's for sure. <laughs> and yeah, but like we just had we had a lot of really strong guys in the boat. Like, and I'm you know I'm leaving out Dom and no. uh, Burns and and Ben and and Kevin. Kevin was the weakest one. Um, he was the weakest link. Kevin Light. <laughs> Thanks. But uh, yeah, if he's listening, he's he's gonna come for you. I know <laughs> he will. Brian, actually, Brian was the weakest one, or Coxwain. Little, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and then the the next one, the next one on the list that we're interested in hearing is uh, who was the who was the funniest of the crew? Who was the Joker of the crew? Who was the Joker? I don't know that we had a lot of jokers on the crew, to be honest. You know, if so, anything, I was probably the most jokey of the crew. Yeah. I was the one who's getting in trouble. And I know you had Eric Murray on. Like, I'd be the guy, like, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I drink too much. I miss the flight. I, you know, go with Eric Murray. We steal a <laughs> swan in Lucerne, bring him to the bar, get kicked out of the bar. Um yeah, I was gonna the, say if you if you're not sure who it is, it's it's probably you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's probably me. So I was probably the I was the guy. I was that guy. Um, try to liven things up. <laughs> so the next the next one was who who trained the hardest in the crew? Who was the most hardcore mentally well, Kevin, in, the, in the crew? Kevin. I would say Kevin Light. Kevin Light, you know, and he needed that because he was um you know, he was just 
just under just around six minutes on the erg so kind of a weaker erg for for the group and um but he had the like he had bought in from the beginning he had established that those eight years you know the canadian training the canadian rowing ethic you know he embodied it you know the you know we say we're going to do 10k you do at least 10k uh you know for like for a recovery row you know you say you're going to row at rate 22 you hit 22 every single time um you know do everything follow it you know live the culture he was an exemplar i suppose of the culture Mm. and then um the next question was who was always late jake wetzel 100 <laughs> percent jake wetzel then andrew burns a little bit too um jake was all over the place he kind of he you'd rein him in and uh burns would just get distracted you know he's cerebral smart guy he's thinking of things and then oh yeah sorry i was thinking of something else but oh yeah uh, <laughs> there's always one there's always one person in every crew yeah and then yeah, it doesn't surprise yeah it was a race it was always a race between jake and burns and then jake would love it he would love it when burns would be later and it was like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, jake, <laughs> you have his laugh and <laughs> <laughs> okay so now for yeah. the for the biggest yeah this, this is, is the big, big question. one <laughs> if the whole crew had to fight who's coming out on top Oh, like you like cage match. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you, you interpret it, Adam. It's yours is yours to develop. Well, I, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna go back to WWF and I'm gonna put everybody <laughs> there we go. everybody king of the ring. And so guys can team up with one another. And uh and so I think it would be Brian or Coxwain. So he would he would just convince everyone to work with him until uh, he convinced the final guy to to jump over because he would he had such power over our minds. He was, <laughs> I knew I knew the Canadian the brain. Canadian guy was going to go for the the diplomatic answer. Cox. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. Like I like from a like a brutal. I don't know. Might be Dom. Might have been Dom. Yeah, Dom looks crazy in the in the videos, in all the Canadian videos. Oh, I see yeah. Dom. Yeah, like, she looks wild. Wow, this this guy looks, no, looks actually, crazy. He's yeah. got on a, the edge. Yeah, he's on the edge because he has a lot of like under underexpressed rage. So if he could like the if he could have channel the rage in like in a mano y mano, I've never seen someone slam a medicine ball like Dom. Like so <laughs> like all the anger I don't know he repressed from his like childhood or wherever it came from you know who knows I don't know his relationship with his father but you know Oedipus complex you know I want to kill my father yeah. but the yeah I think that I put my money on Dom yeah, and then the 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 last one we were just interested to hear. Do you still keep in uh, in touch with your your crewmates um, from now from over the years? Yeah, so Kyle is a lawyer, damn good one. So I call him up a couple times a year to get out of problems. Um, the <laughs> <laughs> the uh, uh, the you know uh, Ben is he is a very successful mortgage brokerage company. 
which has been incredible to see him. He's raking it in, you know, does really well. Uh, Kevin is a professional photographer. He's been hurting a little bit because COVID has shut down a lot of uh, events and a lot of the photography that he's been doing. Uh, Burns is a uh, mechanical engineer. He does a lot of HVAC systems for big buildings, you know, municipal swimming pools. Does a great job at that top uh, top quality engineer. Uh, Malcolm is a doctor and a family doctor a guy like that. Uh, Jake, you know, he got his PhD in mathematical finance. I've, it's funny, I, I might be in contact least with Jake, although I was probably close, they're really close with him when we raced together. <clears throat> and so I'm not quite sure what he's doing now. I think he's doing real estate development. And then um, Dominic, you know, works for the BC government, um, you know, does uh, citizen engagement with them. And I just called him this morning. He didn't pick up the phone. And then uh, <laughs> who else? Brian. Yeah. Brian's running running a bank in Orangeville, Ontario. You know, there's two little girls. So A natu- natural crossover from Coxing uh, Olympic champion crew running the bank. Running a bank. You know, running, running a bunch of type A men to running a bunch of you know, type A women. Slightly different. So um, the... Yeah. I mean, and and you don't like a lot of a lot of crews that we spoke that we spoke to, especially all the guys like meet up once a year or, or once every Olympiad on their uh, medal day, or you know they have a lunch or something. And do you guys have you done anything like that? No. Well, we did a ten year reunion. We had a ten year row where we got That's together. Pretty cool. That's and awesome. that was neat. And Jake didn't show up, of course. Um, the he was he was always the one who might not show up. Uh, the and that was neat to get get back together i think the last the only time our crew has fully been together was when we were inducted into the hall of fame you know the olympic hall of fame um we were all there sprack was there this was maybe eight years after the he kind of had a you know a fancy dinner ever more suits and, oh that's awesome yeah that was it was good it's just it's good to see everyone and the you know the it's interesting when you look back at it because everyone is so different. You know, there are the, mm. the personalities of everyone are so different and you've, you know, like you could, you'll get a different sense of the crew and what happened. You know, if you were to talk to Kyle or if you were to yeah. talk to Kevin or, or Ben and it's, it's funny cause I'll like everyone's all listen to a podcast of, I listen to a podcast of Ben explain his perspective on what happened and it's like it's a slightly different angle because his like his brain works a little he's works differently his motivation is different yeah he's you know he's more of a craftsman a technician very precise and um there's it, it fascinates me the uh the slightly different interpretation that can come from each individual from the experience in the boat and then the you know, the difference in careers because everybody is, you're united by this one task, which is to make a boat go fast, which is sort of esoteric and silly uh, with sometimes you step like to think about it. And they, and then once that task is done, it's, 
you know, you have this shared experience, which is like the peakest of peak moments, you know, winning Olympic gold in an eight, you know, all those guys that you celebrate with afterwards. And, um, you know, you have that. And when you, when you meet up with them again, it's like it never left off, mm. but then, you know, it's, it's wives and lives and mortgages and minivans and you know, yeah, the real world day. Yeah. Like, yeah. well, yeah, it's, well, it's as real, as real as you make it wherever you are, <laughs> the, yeah. Right? Yeah. It's, you know, different choices of how you want to live your life, but the like, life moves on and, you know, other priorities take, take place and the, it's always a gift. I'll say, you know, cause life gets busy. Yeah. And I've seen this, I've seen this in, you know, the generation above me, like the guys and, you know, the women, especially the, you know, 92, you're starting to see that like on the other end of kids, you know, kids are out of the house and you're seeing them come together and they're starting to race some races again. You have a little bit more time to train yeah. and um, yeah. that, that connection is there. So it, you know, it's a friendship for life. And even after 20 years, like even some of the guys from the training center, you know, that I won world championships with in, you know, 2002, yeah. like it's, I don't see them for four years, sit down, boom. Yeah. Back where same jokes, same fun. Yeah. But you also spend like so yeah. much time with those people. I mean, it's that build up. I mean, even now, if I think of our team, I mean, the amount of time I've spent with Jake and, and with John and the, the other guys in the team, it's, I mean, you, you, there's, there's no way you can lose that. Yeah. And especially what you're doing. I also feel like the, um, I don't know what to say, like the intimacy of, of like an intensity of what you put yourself through. I feel like you, you kind of develop a deeper understanding of an, an appreciation of, of who the, the other people are to their core. And that's something mm. that regular, regular people in the normal world will probably never, ever be able to, see you and as your truest self like the expression of your truest self and your truest core and values and that's sometimes what gets expressed yeah. in training especially when you're doing it for you know olympic gold medal no, it's yeah, well, and you you have to see that and you have to find the alignment and i i wish you know in my current life where i do this uh you know corporate training and you know work with executive teams you know to be able to, to communicate that bonding and that trust and that understanding and that supporting of someone who is so different from you you got a guy like jake versus kyle who are opposite ends of the spectrum you know, yeah yet and then to bring they, them together and bring them together for the common goal and the respect and the honor that can be distributed with you know, the acknowledgement that by both contributing and, and respecting, you, you can actually make a boat go fast. Uh, it's something that some, well, some people never get because they're, they're too in their way. And that is truly, you know, when I think of like, what is the gift of rowing? You know, I've thought about this a lot. What is the purpose of rowing on the broader spectrum of thing? Because it's goddamn boring to watch and it hurts <laughs> when you do it. And it's, you know, it's expensive and it's awkward. What is the purpose? Why do we keep doing the sport and why do we fight for it beyond just the joy of it? And and I, I truly think that there's, 
you know, it is one of the, the few places where at a very young age and, you know, you can truly understand what it means to be in unity with someone else, to truly respect them for who they are, where they come from, peel off the layers of the onion, create a group ego and understand truly what, you know, what deep, deep, deep teamwork is like. And, uh, and I think that that sort of value comes out it's established and it's grown in the sport and then it comes in out of the sport because I see this like so many rowers who move into the, you know, the professional sphere, they can't handle, you know, the, you know, the low standard teamwork that will exist in the corporate sphere where people are, you know, everyone's trying to, you know, yeah. get up the hierarchy and, uh, and, and maximize the returns for themselves. And, the, I think that's, you know, when we're trying to think of a societal value, that's truly, I think what, um, you know, what rowing, what rowing brings. Mm. Sure. I love it. I'm going to use that for sure. I'm using that. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot, lot there that I'm you could use. That from, uh, from Adam Creek. Definitely going to hear it in the next few episodes. Going to bust that out again, <laughs> stick it in there somewhere. So we, we've already gone, Two hours, uh, and but we really want to get our, our quick fire questions in. So, if uh, we can roll those through and see how they go, and then uh, wrap things up, because there's no doubt we could just keep t- chatting about this yeah. for maybe over a we'll day. Spend some power over here. a day yeah. would uh, easily carry on. So, first question is: If you went back to race at the games, any boat class, which boat class would you choose? Yep, like go back. If you like were, if I was to have trained for Tokyo no, or Paris, yeah, yeah. If you were going to Tokyo, which boat class would you like to be in? <clears throat> I think the eight. <laughs> it would be yeah. straight back in, straight back in the eight. Always Once an eight, eight, always the eight. The I, and again, it's my personality. I'm too much of a team guy. I I love, you know. It's fun to go fast in a small boat, and I just find it's more fun to go fast in a big boat because it can be so. It's so hard. It's so when it when it happens, it's so magical. Um, mm. The like the, the unity of of everybody working together, and that's um, that's what I'd go for. Yeah. Yeah. Eight. Eight man, yeah. I, wish, I just wish there were Straight more back. eights. I, that, that's my that's that's what I. Yeah, I wish we could have like twenty eights at the Olympics because there's there's truly something special of of that boat class that. Is, I just think it requires like the yeah. system re- requirements are so high. Like you know, for me to yeah. think about South Africa dishing up at eight, it's you know, we a lot needs to happen. You know, um, between yeah. the getting a, a decent four to getting a decent eight, it's it's another realm mm-hmm. mm, it is different yeah and uh so the next question for you adam is if you um if you could race it in any seat in the eight which seat would that be in i'm so freaking boring because i think i'd want to be in the seven seat again <laughs> the, again the, straight back do in what you, well, do what you do best well i don't know because like i'm gonna walk i'll walk you through each of the seats and ju- like i'll justify it 
because the I always wanted to be in the stroke seat. When I came back, I wanted to be in the stroke seat. I didn't trust Kyle because uh, of the last <laughs> quadrennial. I wanted to take Kyle, but Kyle was like, he was really good. He was really good in the stroke seat. He was amazing, top athlete. And <clears throat> I was kind of bummed to be in the seventh seat. And then I think there's some ego in that too. Like I was like, oh, I, I thought I was better than I was. Uh, the you know. Six seat is fun because you can kind of muscle it, but you don't have control of the rhythm. Five seat is good, but I didn't feel like I had the the long legs or the big lungs to really drive the five seat. You know, I'm a I'm a juice monkey. Like I'm big, like I'm 1400 watts on the erg for three strokes guy, right? Now I don't have, I can't carry you through the middle of the race. Five seat has to carry you through the middle of the race. Um, four seat, four seat's fun when it's going good. Because uh, you can push the length, uh, but again, I'd um, you know when it's going bad, I'd have no control, and so I didn't want that. I could really push the length in seven C. I could make that boat go super freaking long. You know, I could push it out and push it out. Uh, two seat, you know, three uh, three seat was fun because it's just I shut up and pull. I didn't, you know, I wouldn't get lost in in the length and the rhythm. But then again, I'd that might be my second. I really like three seat, <clears throat> two seat was not as good as, as bow seat. And I'd said earlier in this podcast that I'd, I'd love to row, you know, I'll, I'll put seven seat with an asterisk. I would love to row bow. I'd love to row bow seat. I love for a bow seat in a boat with a bunch of guys who pull freaking yeah. five thirties <laughs> and you know, yeah, one, five seat is like five twenty nine, And I would, I'm just like, Take me home, boys. There we go. Now, that that's would be. The answer. <laughs> that's the answer. That's you awesome. <laughs> the next question. Actually, I can't wait for an answer for this because now you have to cull. You have to no, cut people. It's gonna be. T- it's gonna be if tough. You had to row a four. Yeah. And choose three people from anywhere in the world to race in your four with. Who are oh, your three crewmates? Who are your three crewmates? Anywhere in the world. And we're not. We're not compromising. Yeah, it can be from anywhere, anytime. Don't, uh, it's no limit. It's, and you could race it or you could just have a good paddle together or whatever you want. But we're not compromising. Oh. It has to be three. Can't, it's uh, no adding extras. Yeah. yeah. We're putting you on the hot seat here, Adam. Okay. I'm going to pretend we have a, a time travel machine and um, we can pull people from their prime and I can also be in my prime. I'm going to say, but I must say that the best four I ever rode in was with. Oh, who was it? It was with Kevin Light, Jeff Powell, and Scott Franson. So like three sort of undersized guys. And we had no – it was like – it was a skinny boat. It was like a skinny straight boat with no rock in the hull. So you had to really row that thing proper to make it go. But when it went, it would it would sing. And we just figured out how to make that force sing. And we were actually – we were beating the um, – you know, Jake and Barney all the time, constantly in that four because we just knew how to like go with that boat. And so to a certain extent, I might just want to go back in that four at the prime because that was just so magical. But then from a personality standpoint, it would be fun to um, it would be fun to row with some of the greats. It would be fun to row with like, like Pinsent and Redgrave. 
Are they and not? They're not rowing with you after you just roasted them for for tuning you at the at the start line. They they gonna turn yeah, you down? Gonna, <laughs> they'll take me down a peg. Sure. <laughs> 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 this is the, this is, the, this is uh, the game, but the no, I think it would be fun. Like, there's some great athletes in the British system. I think I think I want to just go for. I don't know. I'd want to have the like that feeling of of power and length and time, and yeah, let's. Because it's like I looked at the the one time I've cried watching rowing was when I watched Eric Murray and Hamish Bond in I think it was 2012. They were just smoking down the course, and I was just I saw that I, like I saw the full package. You know, when we talk about the you know the snarl and the grace and the you know the litheness and the um, aggression and the relaxation all together, the yin and yang. Yeah. It was, it was so like, it was, it was close to perfect rowing. And so it would be fun to be in a four with those guys. So, you know, yeah. Hamish, so let's go Hamish, Murray, Eric, you know, Murray and Bond. And then, I'd seat race Pinson and Cracknell <laughs> and uh, Redgrave in their primes. And then, uh, and I'd take the top of that and I'd throw them in the bow seat. Um, sure. Right. I think you're getting Pinson. I think if you Pinsent. seat race those three, I think they're the, yeah. Okay. Mm. So it'd just be cool. good. Oh, answer. Brought, I like that. Yeah. I think and I that's a good bow, race. Actually, yeah. Yeah, I mean that's no, that's an all star crew. That 2012 race from the Kiwi pair where they set that record is, I mean, it's one of the best rowing performances of all time. It's it's top of the tree. Mm -hmm. Well, they Mm. channeled, so channeled it. Yeah. So the 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 next one up here, Adam, is uh, what is your your favorite rowing race that you find yourself watching over and over again? Um, It doesn't necessarily have to be one of yourself. It can be you know another one from any time, anywhere. Or there's that pairs race in Egg Bullet. You know, you know the one I'm talking about. It's uh, no. <clears throat> there, I think there are these French guys. Yeah, they're French. French crew might have been in the '90s, late '90s, and they were not in the I know, running. Yeah, they were not the favorites, and they, you know, they just. I think like at the 750 or the thousand or somewhere crazy early in the race, they jacked up the rate to like 44 and just took off on the field. And then they held on and they won it. And no, that's the, the 2000 Olympics in the men's pair. Is that the, it was that, uh, John Christophe Roland and oh, I can't remember who the other guy is, but yeah, that the, the, there's a few race. races though. Cause they raced that they ended their psych, their race on the 2000 games and then, but they have races earlier. So maybe there was, it was a race. Oh, it might be one from earlier. It was a yeah, race so it could have been the, the world champs or a world cup before that regatta. Cause that was like their that was like their, their the trademark, trademark move of like basically coasting to the the 800 or like just through the thousand meter and then hammer time and and let's see everyone else hang on for for dear life and and see if we can put enough distance through the the third 500 on everyone else 
Yeah. And no, I mean, in, insane. Well, such a contrarian race strategy. And that's, um, that's one that just keeps coming. Yeah. That's just keeps coming back, you know, and, you know, I have, I've had this career doing, you know, conference speaking and trying to, you know, spread the gospel of rowing to these, to, you know, to people all over, all over the place. And I, so I watch my, um, I watch my Olympic race a lot. You know, I've cut it down to the last little bit, you know, just from a, because it, it riles people up when they see it. Yeah. So that's the one that I actually watch the most, but it's, um, feels. That's one of the ones I, I watch like the in, most. So yeah. it's a good one. It's a good one to have. Yeah. Mm. It's a, it's a good race. And the, the one that I show, I actually have, um, I have Brian Price or Coxwain. I have his voice over it. So I could, I could send it to you and you could share it if you want, share it with the, um, that would be row. insane. That would be insane. Uh, yeah. That would be amazing. The row show Patreon, you know, yeah. let's give a plug for your Patreon. Cause uh, sure. I'm, a, I'm now a full, full service supporter of Patreon and I'll, I'll <laughs> yeah. contribute to the, uh, to, you know, to the group. Maybe we'll get a few more signups. So I'll give, I'll give our Olympic race with Brian price coxing over it. Oh, I'll send no it way. to you guys. You can find a way to put it behind your, your shield. And, uh, I don't want it shared publicly. Oh no, um, no but, worries. Uh, but the, but Brian, you just you hear what he, what he says and how he, you know, the words he uses, the intonation of his voice, you see the reaction of everyone, and it was, um, yeah. Well, and I'd say even, you know, when I'd watch it for even like two, three, four years after the fact, I would hear his voice and I'd be, my body would move. I'd have twitches in my muscles because there was some kind of like psycho, I was like a trained dog or something. It was like a, mm. like a, a psychomotor connection or something. <clears throat> but it's a really good, you know, good way to call the race. And then you can, the, you know, the, like when you understand the calls, I didn't even like talk through all the calls in the race. We talked through the thirteenth stroke, the one minute push. Uh, we had you know big one was holding the body angle uh, through the catch to make sure the the blade was linear, and then power, establishing a power rhythm. But at the finish, <clears throat> we got this one from Bent Jensen, who is the Danish coach, the speedy, speedy Danish four, uh, the lightweight four, and oh, yeah. and so he would. Uh, we got this in. Uh, because he was coaching the the Canadian lightweights back then in you know 2007, and so we started putting in you know the second best stroke of the race. It was right at the 400 meters from the line. We called it consolidate, and consolidate is good for crew boats, especially like the four and the eight, because uh, everyone can commit to one stroke. And you mm. fi- you figure out what that stroke is, how it feels, and it's it's essentially a replica of the thirteenth stroke, uh, just not quite as good because you're tired at the end of the race. Yeah, and everyone just does that. You reestablish the rhythm going into the end, and then you um, right then you kind of then you just throw technique out the window, and it's <laughs> you know go harder, 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 harder. That's harder, it. Harder, that's harder, only harder. time. It doesn't um, matter. Power Trump's technique at the end of the race. Boat speed yeah. is king. Yeah. The, so the next question is, if you were in charge of world rowing, what would you change? Oh, yeah. I would change some things. <laughs> <clears throat> More eights. 
I would put more eights because I believe that the eight-person boat is the epitome of the social contribution that rowing delivers to society. Getting nine people, you know, psychologically, spiritually aligned, respecting each other in spite of their differences to create something. I want to find a way to get more eights involved. Um, I'd like to see – I would like to see the Olympics with a – you know, we in Canada we have a, a Canadian university racing model where everyone has to race two races. So you like figure out how to break the eight down so that it's, you know, <clears throat> you know you've got, or maybe you have you have to race three races. Let's do this. Everyone has to race three races. You've got to be a sculler and you've got to be a sweeper. You know, and again we know if you're a sculler first, you're going to be a great sweeper. And it's better for injury. It's better for longevity. Uh, it's better for body balance. You know, so many things. So everyone, you've got two singles, a double, and a quad. Boom. Then you've got two pairs and a four. Boom. You've got an eight. Boom. Then you have an ergoff. <laughs> and that's <laughs> that's uh, how it, and you'd start, and how you do it, and I'm, I'm trying like to figure pain, Yeah, that's how you do it. This is Pain Olympics, right? Yeah. Pain Olympics. Oh, no, yeah. but you do it, it over two weeks. It would be awesome, though. It would be amazing. Yeah. And you spread it over two weeks or you, you put it down, but you just boot. One, and so you could have one, two, three, four. You could have four Olympic gold medals in the sport of rowing if you have a guy like, you know, Kyle Hamilton who could, like, crush it in the, you know, in the pair, the eight, the erg, and the, you know, quad, yeah. let's say. Mm. And then all of a sudden you're, wow, look at the athletes that would come out of that. It would, you know, teach the joy of the different boat classes. Uh, The, you know, I feel like there's, you know, the other way to go is just to really dial it down and have fewer boat classes, you know, get rid of, get rid of the fours, the doubles, the pairs, and just like, and just make it more make it more competitive. Could you imagine yeah, more concentrated? Could you imagine like the only sweet boat you're allowed to put in is, is the eight, <laughs> but then like you lose a lot. You see that in America, you lose so much when all you do is row eights. You, you yeah. don't get the, you don't get the finesse, but, um, but you could have these earlier on, like you could have the Olympic stores the like where it is. And then you could have like the world cups and the world and earlier world champs where you're like really spicing it up and making, kind of these changes yeah. to to see which which ones work and which ones bring out the best yeah. kind of spectator value or well and so i think that's one the other i'd like to see is shorter races you know if we're like yeah, yeah that's a big three one stroke, have three stroke max let's see <laughs> on the water three stroke yeah. race, 30 meters three. Oh, Probably only like, 30 meters? I'd fucking go 150 on you. <laughs> no, but the, the, the race length. For it to be a 30 meter, a three-stroke race, the race length would have to be like a 12-meter no, race. It's for length. Like, it's, you know, three-stroke max. Let's see the, oh, the farthest you can go oh, after taking oh, three strokes. I see what you mean. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I yeah. saw you, you read that a different, a different way. Yeah. Now, the I'd like to, I think, rowing machines, erging, so Should be that's, our, that's our next question. If you were uh, coming into the ERG Olympics mm-hmm. and uh, what is 
the holy grail question what is your 2k pb on the oak well 2k pb is it's only 552 and i was mm. like i feel like i had more in in me and i feel like it's a cop-out question because of course you did but the that's part of the reason why I regret I was never we never really trained for the erg and because the erg especially especially the concept too right I, you can really throw your shoulders into it and that will give you more speed uh, but you know that doesn't necessarily transfer to, to boat speed so if did I make a boat go fast did you say five fifty two hey mm-hmm sure so on our on our road show erg ladder which we have all of our results up. You mm. come in level pegging with Drew Ginn and Robert Lucan, who strokes the uh, the Dutch uh, eight. Eight currently yeah, pussies, but and, <laughs> and only. <laughs> but you you lost a C by one second to to Vetzel. Oh, yeah, he was. We had some really good. I had a back injury. And I wasn't able to do the last erg test leading uh, up to yeah, Beijing. Oh, yeah, the, the notes, and the, the comments. <laughs> the comments. <laughs> the- I know, that's my regret. You got uh, Kyle Hamilton was like five, oh, in the so 540s, mid-540s. You finish 14th, tied 14th on our list. New list. No, I think we way down. You know, talk 540, that's where it's at. You got to be in the 540s. That's yeah. you know, that's the powerhouse. That's the new, mm. you know, yeah. back when I was a kid, it would be like, oh, say break in six minutes. Now it's like, okay, if you're not breaking 540, don't tell me about it. Or 550, <laughs> don't tell me about it. It's <laughs> yawn. Yeah. Because uh, I think, and again, there's been progress in, in how you can even, like people are using beta alanine and you're figuring out how to use yeah, uh, caffeine and figuring out how to use... Yeah, you can load up your weight. You can get the creatine up, and it doesn't matter if you're carrying on an ex- extra ten pounds. You you can still m- move the flywheel. So it's a different mm. it's a different sport. The erg. Um, yeah, I know the and also I mean like we said it earlier, like especially at the end of the season, it would be awesome to see what you could do. But we takes us to the last question on uh, our quick fire list, and that is. If you had to choose a different sport to go to the Olympics in, what would it be and why? First thing that comes to mind is discus. I love discus. discus. That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> discus. I don't know that I would have had... I don't know if I would have been able to mass up. You know, right now, I used to, I used to race at... I used to race at like 205, 208 and train around 222. Yeah, so I'd cut down, you know, cut down, always cut down 15 pounds from training to racing. You know, cut like a lightweight, race like a heavyweight. That was always my philosophy. Uh, the, um, but when I was younger to try and put on mass and do some of this, I'd probably have to get up to, you know, 280, 290, 300 pounds. I don't know if I could have done that. That's a lot. I don't know if I could have done yeah, that's that. That's a lot. That's a lot of weight gain there. But it's like power. You know, that was the, you know, that was my game in in the boat. 
And that's yeah, the and discus, you, quickness and power. Exactly. You're talking three strokes. Discus is uh, it's going to be right up there for you. That's that's the way. That's three-stroke max, man. Cheers. Thanks for coming. So, yeah. I mean, that kind of wraps up our, our, our quick-fire questions. And, I mean, there's so much that we could still go into. You know, we didn't even really touch that much on Spracklin. And, you know, there's there's we could definitely carry on this this chat. But, I mean, uh, we're really pushing on time here. And well, I think if you're looking, if the listeners are looking for more Adam Creek, there's, yeah, there's a lot so out there. much out there. So I would first go YouTube. There's some amazing Canadian rowing videos out there on uh, on their team and on their team's preparation for the Beijing Games. Then uh, Adam mentioned he has a book, The Responsibility Ethic. Uh, I'm busy going through it and it's really awesome. I'm enjoying it a lot. And, you know, the rowing stories and the kind of links that he's made in the book are really, really awesome. I love to uh, consume even- rowing knowledge. Well, we didn't even talk about the row across the ocean. Oh, like, that's another I know. Thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. no yeah. shit. We're missing so much. We'll definitely touch on that now. <laughs> no, I think we have to put an honorary mention in there. What, yeah, Adam, you got to tell us about the, the 2013 um, experience of going across the Atlantic. Yeah. Well, and I think this is, and I, I'm just going to talk to it from a flat water perspective because I think it's important because you're going to have a lot of racers, flat water rowers thinking about it. And it made me think of it because that's the first chapter of the of the, yeah. book, the responsibility ethic. And mm. it's, you know, our boat capsized in the Bermuda Triangle 73 days in. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I saw that. It's it's wild. I'm like, it capsized in the Bermuda Triangle. Adam, you are so lucky you say that. <laughs> yeah, well, lucky and, lucky and good, man. It's uh, lucky and good. <laughs> a little bit of both. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Maybe a little bit dumb, too. Uh, the, <laughs> the, so the, the row was, you know, it was a decompression, right? A decompression from the Olympics, essentially. You know, I'd gotten into this... Um, you know, and yeah, I got into this beer league style of rowing. I, I made friends with a boat maker here in Victoria. He makes these boats called Whitehall rowing boats. And I'm still still involved with this business. He makes these other things called oar boards, which are these funky little rowing units you strap on top of an SUP. And they're 100% recreational. You can take them anywhere. Uh, they don't row like a racing shell, but they're fun to like really doodle around on but i was going out in these dory boats i was going crab fishing i was you know playing around in big water big waves and i, I went down to this a race in san francisco met a guy by the name of jordan hansen and jordan um yeah jordan you know harold the the boat maker brought me down there and jordan had rowed across the ocean once before and he you know he planted the seed after this race Right. And after the race was over, it was, you know, he, he calls me up in Victoria. He's like, Hey, you know, you said you were interested in running across the ocean. Do you want to do it? And I was like, no, it's, it's like, it's interesting. It sounds like a dumb idea. And again, when, when you're competing internationally and you're in the competitive mindset and in the competitive headspace, why the heck would you row across an ocean? What's the point? Why would you mm. even want to do that? That was, <laughs> this is what's going through my brain. I'm sure it's going through maybe your brain or some people are listening. What? Like, why? Why would you even want to do that? 
And I'd say it was what convinced me and what attracted me. And I'm so glad that I did that. And I'm so glad that I got out into the ocean because we were talking about this when you're in Lesotho and you're out and you're away and you're in nature, electricity is gone. There's a different you that shows up because you're out of this whole social construct. You're out of the whole um, hierarchy of society. You're just like you and the universe. Boom. That's you right? That's the magic of the outdoors. That's the magic of the wilderness. And here, you know, here I was on this rowboat with three other guys. We talk about peeling off the layers of the onion and connecting with, you know, high-performance rowing crews. Same thing happened with these guys, you know, still friends for life, still text back and forth with them. These guys are crazy. You know, one guy's even, I don't know, he might even be cycling through South Africa. I might have to connect him with you boys if uh, he's coming through. He's circumnavigating the globe, um, human power. He's wow, three a, years into that's it. That's amazing. Um, but you know, Marcus, Marcus, Jordan, Pat. And so we were, we were hyper-connected with these guys, hyper-connected with uh, like the outdoors. You know, the, the best time rowing ever was the middle of the night. Stars were out. It's calm. You've you've got the shift from two a.m. till six a.m. and you're sitting there, you know, in a racing shell. You're just like long and linear and powerful in these ocean boat. It's two tons. You're just like you circulate and you tap it along. You row three quarter length, and it's you just keep moving, keep moving the beast along, and you just get into this rhythmic meditation and you're uh, navigating by the stars and then then the dawn starts to break you kind of move from the darkest hour to the you know to the break of dawn to uh you know the sunrise and watching and just being transfixed by you know the movements of nature and you know those those were the times that make it make it worth it and the you know the times mm. lost in meditation because you know like it is uncomfortable while you're out there but if you did Olympic training you can row across an ocean it's you know the main thing is just making sure that you've you understand big water but physically speaking you can do it right it's the yeah like it's not like from a physical challenge it's you know Olympic rowing might have been harder physically um, the different well different yeah because i'd imagine like this is like so on your body it's like it's such long hours and like you're sitting on the seat and it's more like it's more like just mental game and and it's like the time of the work that needs to go in on this area then like it's not intense no it's a Mm. it's you know how people go on those 10-day silent retreats you know, it's a it's yeah. a forced meditation, and to to a certain extent, it helped me process the trauma of my Olympic experience. You know, more than anything, because it is somewhat you know, high performance sport can be traumatic. It can be a traumatic experience. We can you know, laugh about it, but a lot of people get effed up in the head from going through high performance sport. For you know, sure, because mm. because you're it's a you know. There's, you know, I think there's a lot of different reasons for it, 
but you need to pro you need to be able to process the experience you need to be able to integrate it you need to be able to let it go because you're going to finish the olympics you're going to have the performance of your life or maybe you're not you're going to be happy or you're going to be sad you're going to win you're going to get a medal you're going to be on a podium you're going to get a gold you know so many things are going to happen and then it's going to be over and then you're either going to go for another one or you're not and then you're going to keep moving on to the next thing but what what do you do with all of this information like what, how do you integrate that and, and use it using for like moving forward to the next thing? Yeah. You need and, like a transition, a process to deal with it. Exactly. And for me, that was, that was the adventure, like getting out into the wild, spending time, disconnecting and just getting into that, that meditative space of just over and over and over again. And uh, that was, that was one of the biggest gifts of the ocean row. And, um, and I think, I don't think I knew it when I was going for it, but that was one of the biggest surprises and the biggest gifts, just being able to mm. integrate everything, think it through, mourn what needed to be mourned, um, celebrate what needed to be celebrated, uh, you know, let go of everything and move on. Cause it was, you know, it's some of the best times and worst times of your life going on this Olympic journey and it's a metaphor and it should strengthen you. It should strengthen you for whatever you have after this. Cause like you're done relatively young. Even if you're a guy like, you know, Mahi Drysdale, you know, who retires in his forties, he's still got another 50 years in him. So yeah, I want like, mm. he'd better live a, a good, good freaking life for the last <laughs> mm bit because of the yes. experience not you know not living in wanting not living in um anguish yes sure some serious words of wisdom there yeah so and then so i know so we spoke about the book definitely go and look at that then maybe also just brush on you have a podcast that you're hosting at the moment row row tokyo i've also watched your ted talk which has also been pretty awesome and as you say, you do a whole lot of like uh, business coaching and kind of speaking and, and that sort of thing. So you got quite a lot out there to 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 go and watch. Maybe that's why our episode plug, is, uh, yeah. is is touching on three hours now. <laughs> I know it's yeah two parter two parter for sure. yeah, yeah they, not for sure yeah <laughs> but yeah there's there's a lot out there. I'm I'm really enjoying the Row Rope Tokyo podcast. It's been fun just to step back in and like uncover the rowing journey and certainly have some more. It's interesting because every conversation is different and the, each rower is different and thinks about the sport slightly differently. And you're able to go into the like kind of uncover what rowing means for that individual. Cause it's, you know, the athletic journey is a, you know, is so unique for everyone and everyone gets something slightly different out of it. So I've like some of them, we just go right into jock talk and nerd talk about dissecting the stroke. You know, if you're, and I'm, I'll say the two ones that stand out to me as the top, the top ones is one, the Canadian single scholar had a, a few really good knowledge bombs that he dropped just on the technique and the way he thought about the stroke, just cause he's so quiet and thoughtful guy that doesn't talk a lot i really enjoyed that and then the um you know, i remember the, the light men's double they had like they just had this epiphanal moment 
uh, I remember in the, in the conversation I had with them, they had this epiphanal moment of the rowing stroke where they realized that you can't, you have to pick up the load at the catch, but you can't add more to the load throughout the stroke. And they just, fi- they figured out a way to describe it that was just so resonant. And um, mm. you know, just understanding that feeling of, of, of grabbing the load and, and quickening, quickening the load. Uh, it was, I, I thought that conversation was really good. And then, you know, there's other like good backstories. You get to hear the backstories of these other rowers. And I find that even the team, the Canadian team is listening to it just so that they get to know their teammates a little yeah. better. But uh, that's what's so, so cool about the podcast format, because you allow people to share their story. And like every athlete has this unbelievable story behind them. And, you know, you're just kind of coaxing it out of them, putting them in a position where they can tell the story and, other people enjoy that. You know, it's, I mean, I, that's why I do it. Cause I love hearing yeah, for sure. these stories that I would know of no idea otherwise. No. Yeah. So many hidden stories and we can learn so much, right? We're only, you know, we're, you know, we're creations of each other. You know, we are manifestations of each other. And I think there's so much to be learned and, and again, I just want to commend you guys for what you've done with the Row Show because I think it's it was motivated out of you know curiosity and self growth, but it's also contributed so much to the international rowing community. And I think that there's, I think it will help you know even helps kind of create this you know a brotherhood and sisterhood of you know of athletics and and truly what. Uh, it's supposed to be, and because it's so grassroots, it's not mired in the filter of a production team and people saying, "Oh, we should do this or we should do that." It's mm. it's just honest conversations that um, you know that are really appealing, and you know the amount of knowledge that's you know captured and transferred, I think will you know will only help the sport and the athletes and the coaches. It's uh, so right on you for um, for this podcast. Yeah. Well, th- thanks a lot, Adam. That's, uh, that's some very kind words on, on us. And for all the listeners out there, please go check out Adam. He's, you know, he's, got, he's got a lot going on. But uh, that, uh, I think that brings us to, to the end of our interview there, Adam. Um, thanks so much for, for coming on to the, the show. I mean, it really has been, uh, it's been an amazing listening to your your story and, and your Olympic experiences. And I must say, I'm pretty G'd up that I got to chat to you before, you know, I have to finish up my last bit of training before Tokyo because yes, there were some, the real pearlers in there and the, the psychology about talking about racing at Olympic level is amazing. For sure. Yeah. You know, it's, mm. uh, yeah, I wish you all the best guys. It's, uh, and I'm also th- thinking, you know, when everything dials down, uh, you, I'm curious to see if you could get Spracklin on this. It would be amazing. Yeah, it would I be amazing. Have, uh, yeah, I think you'd have so much fun. Epic. Yeah, we've we've kind of yeah. steered away from the coaches whilst we've been athletes uh, mainly, but I think um, there's definitely a time where we can get those those coaches in and and, and pick their brains a bit. Well, and it's yeah. I'm curious to see what sort of gems would come from him because he's so soft spoken. That, yeah, yeah we'll have so to much sure. knowledge, though. Yeah, the knowledge, yeah. unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. well, awesome, man. Thanks so much, and that was a huge yeah. chunk of time. So we really yes. appreciate you giving us uh, giving us so much, yeah. and uh, you know, we really would 
is is so much more. I mean, even in our notes, there's you know there's just sections that uh, we we brush through, and you know there's there's so much. But it's I think what we got was was really awesome, honest, just genius. Um, the way you think about the the rowing stroke and racing is just unbelievable. So thanks so much. Yeah, well, thank you. And I'll let mm. you guys get to bed and get ready for tomorrow. Another big day. <laughs> yeah, we got, yeah. yeah, we got some big pieces what tomorrow. What do you got doing? Sweet. Thanks a lot, Em. Uh, we have, uh, we have, we're doing three 1Ks at, uh, at race pace tomorrow. Okay. Just to test, test the waters a bit. Okay. Do yeah. it. Sweet sure dreams. Thanks. Yeah, for dream sure. Of, dream of lactic acid. Cool, man. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet guys, that is a wrap for part two of Adam Creek and what a roller coaster and what an episode. Our longest episode yet, um, pushing on nearly three hours and uh, we had to split this one into two, one and two. So I hope you guys enjoyed part two as much as we did. I thought it was top, top class and one of our best ones yet. Uh, Jake, what are your big takeaways? Yeah, definitely going down as one of my favorite episodes. I feel like I said that of every episode. This uh, this podcast really is a gem. Speaking to these uh, titans of the sport and, and listening to their stories. Um, yeah, I think uh, you know it's uh, the 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 second part is a real testament to his ability as a storyteller. I feel like he wrapped it up really well. And probably you know my my best part about the interview was actually right at the end when he talks about his Olympic crossing. There's you know there's a lot of like. Uh, um, you know, just a lot of reflection. I think it was a nice closing uh, bit of discussion that kind of overall reflection on his whole career, kind of like in that small passage and a lot of lessons learned through his sporting career. And uh, I thought it was like a very fitting way to, to end the, you know, the odyssey of the interview. So guys, I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Yeah. And, you know, for me, Jake also is like, you know, I love the row show because it goes longer and it always pushes that length and, and gets the the guest comfortable and out of the kind of straightforward media answers that they give uh, at all the other interviews. You know, you always get that deeper element. And I thought it was difficult for with us for Adam because he had done so much and he has, has so much of, of that. But I really think we got into it and we got through it. You know, there was some... Uh, you know, those questions about the eight and the crew, I, I loved. I really thought that uh, just gave us that, you know, that extra element of, you know, of Adam and of the crew that uh, I don't think uh, he's shown us anywhere else before. So I love it and uh, I really enjoyed chatting to him. And as Jake said, if you're on the, the free feed, you're getting this right before we are um, ready to to go in into to the Olympic Village and, and get going there. So, yeah, uh, hope you guys are thinking about us. Obviously, we're going to be under a bit of pressure. Keep mm-hmm. giving us the support. Keep sharing the show. And for our patrons, uh, you guys are the best. Thanks so much for, for support. And if you really want to get involved in that, head over to our patrons, go subscribe and join us there. It is awesome, especially during the regattas. The, the banter on the WhatsApp group is legendary. So I'm sure you guys will... Uh, enjoy that especially over the games and yeah you get that inside info whilst we're racing and i'm sure we will keep an eye on you guys so yeah i think that's it jake anything else no i think that's a good wrap you've wrapped it up nicely again thanks for the support ladies and gentlemen and uh, we'll probably catch you on the other side of the olympics next time you hear our voices so yeah thanks hopefully for that. james hopefully james yeah. does us justice in his uh, in the hype train yeah, hopefully. Otherwise, we're going to have to sort something out. 
yeah, we'll discipline him. <laughs> Sweet, Sweet dude. guys, yeah. Thanks for listening. Cheers. In. Thanks so much for listening, guys. We're out. Ciao. Thanks, Jake. Cut me deep. <laughs> deep. <laughs> oh, sorry, Lawrence. <laughs> <laughs>